Well, friends, please open your Bibles, Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4. We've actually got a two-parter in Jonah chapter 4. We're going to go through and read all 11 verses today. We will deal with most of the text, but here's the thing. Here's the issue. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I had that thing that sometimes happens where you just see two things going on in the text and you can't bring them together. The two things are this. As you read this text, as you hear this text, you will hear two things happening, two beautiful things, two things that need to be proclaimed, two things that need to be lifted up. What are they? The first one is this. Our God's amazing compassion on the lost. Our God's amazing compassion for those dirty, foul Ninevites who have committed all kinds of war crimes and atrocities. You can't get past that. You can't get past that at all. You can't get past God's glory going forward as we see his mercy and his compassion on display. So that is what we will look at next week. What are we looking at this week? We're looking at something else. You see, last week, We saw the Ninevites turn. We saw Jonah turn. We saw the Lord even turn and relent. And we looked at repentance and we started to understand some things about repentance. And we said, we left it at this place. Jonah has repented some, but there's a lot more. Well, this morning, what we're going to see is this. We are going to see the dirty, foul waters of Jonah's heart. We're gonna see how it's polluted. We're gonna see how it's contaminated. But then we're gonna watch our God do surgery on Jonah's heart. You're gonna see your Father God's amazing touch, sometimes gentle, sometimes firm, sometimes like gracious in the kind, loving, light touch. Sometimes we learn this morning that grace can put us in an uncomfortable spot. But through it all, our Lord is doing surgery on Jonah's heart. And as we see this surgery take place, here's what we learn. We learn the depths of God's love for us. You learn the depths of God's great love for you. And then you get to watch how he goes to work so you can learn to recognize it in your own life. And so you can embrace it in your own life. These are the two places this morning that we're going as we watch this open heart surgery. We're going to look at and we're going to see the depths that God will go to redeem us. Then the second thing that we will see is this. We will see the methods that he uses to redeem us with. The depths of redemption and the method of redemption. I'm going to read the text as we go. Let's start with the depths he will redeem you from. Let's start here. Let's start here. Do you know your God's big heart? Like when we say God is compassionate, are those dry words that do not land? If we say our God has a big heart for you, does that warm something in here? Are they dry, rote words that, yeah, 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 I got it. Oh man, I wish I could get back to feeling that. We need to see our God's big heart because in this part of our text, what we're gonna see is this. Our God does not give up on people. We're gonna see that he does not give up on what he created, no. We're gonna see that when he sets his mind to something, he accomplishes it. He lets nothing stop it, even our own hard-hearted resistance. That can't get in the way. Not, Not forever. It cannot last. No. 
We see this in Jonah's life. God is drawing the depths of Jonah's heart up to the surface. We've seen him disobey. We've seen the surface level actions of disobedience. Now we're getting into the heart. If we've seen the stem of the weed, today we see the bulb, the root, the hair, all that stuff you gotta dig out when you get a weed out. Let's look at this in Jonah's life. Go with me to verse one. Go with me to verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. It greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Jonah's angry with the Lord. Don't miss the greatly. Some of your translations will read exceedingly. Don't miss that, underline it, why? Jonah is jaw muscles tight, teeth gritting, neck muscles tensed up. The stress headache that starts to happen on the sides of your head, he is that mad, he is that enraged at God? At God? It's like, whoa, buddy, hold up. (laughs) I don't want any of that noise. No. No, Jonah is mad at God, and why? Because God is not following Jonah's script. God dares to be king, and Jonah is upset that he is not in charge. He is not getting his way. He is angry at the Lord. But do you see... Do you see that the Lord does not give up on Jonah? He loves him too much. Are you here today? And are you angry with God? Do you have a quarrel with God? He saved this person, not that person. He did this good thing in another person's life. He hasn't done it in my life or this other person's life that I love. Do you have a quarrel with God? We all have seasons where we go through this. Let's be honest. If you're here today and that is you, here is good news. He still loves you. He will still redeem you even when you're angry at him. That should blow your mind. And we're not even done. We're still plumbing Jonah's heart. Go with me to the first part of verse two. Listen to these words. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Stop right there. If you literally translate the Hebrew, here's what it says. Then he prayed to the Lord and said, next slide, good job. Please, Lord, was this not my word? (laughs) My word. What has been driving action throughout all of the book of Jonah? Chapter one, verse one, the word of? Good, say it again, the word of? The Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Chapter three, verse one, when Jonah gets a reset button pushed on his life, it's the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord drives. Jonah is trying to drive God with his own word. Whoa, (laughs) right? Like, whoa, buddy, what are you doing? (laughs) Step back. (laughs) I feel like the nuclear heat coming, right? Right, like, like, Jonah, you're a prophet, dude. (laughs) Come on, man. You're the mailman. You don't write the mail, you deliver it. Who should be listening to who? God to Jonah's words? Or Jonah to God's word? Do you see the inversion? Do you see where Jonah is at? Are you seeing the depths of his heart? He's angry, he's insisting upon his own word, but what does God do? He still loves him. He does not give up on him. Are you here? And are there areas of your life where you are resistant to God's word? 
We all have these places. Where would it be? Where would it be? Where is that place in our life where we have to talk over other people? We have to talk down other people. If Pastor Brad, Pastor John, or, or an elder came to you and said, hey, hey, can we go here? This is important, I see you're upset. Can we go here? Are you coachable? Where would be that place if we took you here where you would say, PJ, it's just your interpretation. I know the Bible says so-and-so, but we're we more worried about what the Bible does not say than what it does say because that's our starting point, right? When we do this, it makes us uncoachable, inflexible, prideful, arrogant, stiff-necked, and stubborn. We all have this spot in our souls. Where would it be for you? Where would it be? Are you here today? And are there areas where you insist on your word over God's word? Well, good news. Our God does not give up on Jonah. He does not give up on you. He still loves you. He is still working to redeem you. Even when you insist on your word, your preference, your ways, and you do not know what his word says. He still loves you. When you're angry, when you insist on your word over his. Let's look at the next thing that we see. Let's look at verse two again. What's the next part of verse two? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. Did you catch that? He just defended his sin. <laughs> Do you see that? He's like rationalizing why he disobediently ran from God. Do you see the justifying self-nature of what he's doing? God, you got it wrong, I got it right. <laughs> you need my help, God, let me coach you. Wow. Do you see the deep depths? Do you see how perverse and how not good this is? Somebody raised in the church is like this towards the Lord. But our God does not give up on Jonah. He loves him too much. Are you here today? Are you defending sin? Are you justifying your actions? We're all guilty of this. How many times a week do we rationalize our thoughts, our desires, what our hands do, what our mouth says? How many times do we blame shift and put it on someone else? Well, so-and-so made me, <laughs> like, right? How many of us do this? How many of us do, I'm guilty of this. This is me. Is this you? I'm sorry, but. <laughs> right? Like the one sentence apology with this much of a justification of what you really did to me, and it's like a passive aggressive gaslighting reverse. Anybody want to cop to that? Yeah, we defend our sin. Good news. He loves you too much. He is too committed to your redemption, even when you defend your sin. Do you see how amazing this is? Put a smile on your face. This is good news. He loves you despite your anger. Despite your insisting on your word and your ways, despite the times you defend your sin, we're not even done with verse two. Let's put the rest of verse two together with verse three. What do we got here? What do we got here? We've got a hypocrite. Watch the hypocrisy. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Do you hear the good theology? 
This exact quote is repeated no less than seven times in the Old Testament. You can find it in Nehemiah twice in the Psalms. You can find it uh, in Joel. You find it first in Exodus chapter 34 where Israel has just bowed down to the golden calves and what does God do? He relents. He doesn't nuke them. Jonah, you can quote the passage where your ancestors bowed down to the golden calves and God did not destroy them, but you want God to destroy Nineveh? Do you hear the hypocrisy? Do you hear it? And look at verse three. Jonah says, save Nineveh over my dead body. Over my dead body. That's what he says to the Lord. It's like Jonah, hey, I'm sorry, time out, time out. Jonah, come over here, buddy. Hey, (laughs) am I hearing you right? Did you just say God can save you from drowning in the waters, but he's not allowed to save Nineveh from drowning in the fires. You hypocrite, right? But let's not go too hard on Jonah, right? God loves him too much. God doesn't give up on him. He doesn't throw him away, no. Do we do this? Do we play the hypocrite? It's more like where are the times where we played the hypocrite? What are the areas of our life where we're playing the hypocrite? What are those times, what are those areas where we live like functional atheists? We give God lip service with really good theology like Jonah, but it ain't touching our hearts, right? Good news, Grace Church, he loves you. He is still committed to your redemption despite your hypocrisy, despite your anger, despite your insisting on your word and elevating your word above his, despite defending sin, despite hypocrisy. Do you see his love. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you see the depths of Jonah's hard heart? Why do we have to go there? Why do we have to peel it back? Why do we have to open the veil? Why do we have to see the darkness? Why do we have to see the depths of the darkness? Because if you don't see that, you'll never see the depths of his redeeming love for Jonah. You'll never see the depths of his redeeming love for you. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Are you experiencing it maybe for the first time? Whoa, that much? More, (laughs) yes, more. This is who our God is. I mean, what would God be justified to do to Jonah right now? To reduce him to a pile of ash? What would he be justified to do to us? And here's the thing, we know better. (laughs) We've got the Bible. A lot of us were raised in the church, the Ninevites, they're ignorant. What would God be justified to do to us? What do we deserve? But what does he give? What does he do? What does he do? This is who our God is. He does not throw you away when you malfunction. He does not slap you like an ant that has just bitten his ankle. No, Jonah in verse two had God's character right. He is the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. How have you known that? Have you seen that? Have you felt that in your life? He is continuously committed to renovating your heart. He is ferociously faithful to renewing your head. He is deeply dedicated to redeeming your hands. If you see the depths of Jonah's hardness, then there's something else you gotta see. You have to see God's deeper love for Jonah and for you. He really is for you, Grace. He really is at work in you. Even when we turn our backs on him and we pout, he's still for you. 
When you have this love in your life, when it flares up, when it's operative, when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it changes you. You cannot help but change. It makes such a difference in your life. How does it make a difference in your life? Go back to verse two. You'll become like him. You'll naturally become gracious. You'll naturally extend grace to your spouse in that fight. You'll naturally extend grace to your children when they mess up. You'll naturally become compassionate. You'll naturally become merciful when you meet people in their distress. You'll naturally, oh, this is a good word for me, become slow to anger. You'll be more patient. You won't have to work on it. It'll just naturally be a byproduct of your life. Why? You'll just be more like him. You'll be more kind-hearted even to yourself. There's this weird dynamic in the Christian life and a wonderful reason why you should come to faith in Jesus Christ today. You will be kinder to yourself, but harder on your sin. That should be a little mind-boggling, right? Like you will be kinder to yourself. You will stop beating yourself up before God to prove to God that you've beaten yourself up and now you can finally be forgiven because you self-atoned, right? You'll stop doing that, but at the same time, you'll hate your sin more. You'll fight it harder. It's a dichotomy. It's a paradox, but it's true in the Almighty. It makes a difference. It has bite. It has purchase. This is the stuff of the rubber meeting the road. Here's the question. How do you get this change in your life? How do you get it? How do you get it? Let's go to our next point. Let's go to our next observation. Let's watch our God go to work. Let's look at the methods he will redeem you with. Let's look at the methods he will redeem you with. In this middle part of our text, you're gonna see something incredible. You're going to see how our God works on our hearts. As you do it, you're gonna see him as a master surgeon, a master teacher. You're going to see him as an incredibly good and wise father. His love grows, his love redeems, his grace transforms. And there's two primary ways he does this in the text. First, he asks, and second, he appoints. He asks, he appoints. Let's look at that, let's explore this. In redeeming grace, the first thing we need to see is this, he asks, he asks. Go to verse four, let's read verse four. God says to Jonah, the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Are you really entitled? Do you really have a claim here, Jonah? Are you really on good ground? He asks. Go to verse nine. Go down to verse nine. He asks again, verse nine. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He asks. Our God asks. God is using questions like a drill on an oil rig to get down to the bedrock, to get down to the foundation. That's where he does his best work. Would you come over here with me for a minute? Can I share with you something? I wonder if this is true of you too. When you're in conflict with somebody, when you're in conflict somebody, with somebody and they lead with questions, doesn't it go a lot better how many times have you ever experienced some tension or some conflict and the person leads with statements, with presumptions, with their assumptions, and you're going, that, that picture you're painting, it has a bald head, 
It has a crooked nose, but that, that, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not why I did what I did. Anybody ever experienced this? Where people come at you full bore? Oh, they've got it figured out. There's no need to listen, right? Doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it make you feel unknown and all alone? Doesn't it make you feel isolated? Do you know how much this happens in marriages? Come back over here. Let's look at the Lord. Look at the Lord in our text. Look at the all-knowing, omniscient God. He asks questions he knows the answer to. Why? Why does he do that? Why does he do that? What's he doing here? I think you know the answer. He's getting Jonah to do some self-reflection. He's using questions to hold up a mirror. Jonah, this is you. Do you really like what you see here? He's getting Jonah to think. Our God is drilling. He's using questions. What touch? What touch? God has every right to say, Jonah, boom, here it is. But God doesn't do that. Do you see that? He asks. The first thing he does is he asks. What's the second thing that he does? He appoints. He appoints. He appoints. In his redeeming love, he appoints. Let's look at this in verse 6. First, we've seen this word appoint before. Anybody know where? Any guesses? Chapter 1, verse 17, where he appointed the fish. Our God appoints. He is the master over creation, and he will use creation as his tool to get what he wants for us. He appoints. Go with me to verse 6. Go with me to verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Verse 7, what does God do next? But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, verse 8, God did what? Appointed a scorching east wind. Have you ever lived in the Middle East, visited the Middle East, or been in the Middle East? Anybody? Anytime you see an east wind in the Bible, it's bad. We're talking blistering, tem literally, temperatures that blister your skin, sunburn, right? We're talking massive dust storm that can strip and deem the paint job on a car. That's what God appoints. Do you see God appointing? Let's finish verse 8. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Our God appoints. He offers the gentle touch of a question. He appoints gently the shade to come over Jonah's head, but he's not scared to appoint the uncomfortable grace of a scorching wind. What is the point of all of this appointing? What is the point of all of this appointing? The point is this. Go back to verse 6. Look at that phrase, to relieve him of his discomfort. Do you see that phrase? It's a double entendre. It has a double meaning. You can faithfully translate that to relieve him, to deliver him of his discomfort. You know how else you can translate that? To save him from his evil. God appoints, he keeps appointing to deliver Jonah 
from himself, to save him from himself. Our God is appointing, he is controlling, he is still using his mastery over creation to teach Jonah, to grow Jonah, to transform Jonah, to save him from himself. We have a front row seat to Jonah's sanctification, Jonah's growth in Christ. What do we make of this appointing? What do we make of it? It's this. God is the master over creation. He is the king. He is the sovereign. He reigns and he appoints in his appointing grace to drive, to guide, and to steer Jonah to a lesson. Oh, there is an object lesson coming that we will explore next week. But for now, just see. He asks and he appoints. He gets change out of Jonah. He's going to get change out of Jonah. Let's take asking, let's take appointing, and let's put them together. Let's put them together. What do we learn? What do we learn? I want you to learn. I want you to see, if you take away nothing else today, that you are of such great worth to your Father in heaven. How? Let me prove it to you. Take, take two precious metals. Take gold, take silver, right? Anybody have silver platter, jewelry, gold in the family heirloom? Like they oxidize, right? They rust, right? They, they develop that green, kind of black, kind of weird, icky things. You have to polish them. You have to polish them. They oxidize them. Why do you polish them? Because you value them, because you care about them. Is that not what God's questions, what God's asking is, but him breaking out some ammonia, some baking soda, a little Dawn soap, and polishing? Is that not what he's doing with Jonah? Is that not what he will do with you? He is polishing, he is polishing. But as some of you probably know, there's sometimes some tough spots that won't come out with all the brasso or all the ammonia in the world. Yeah, I, I learned some stuff this week. Sometimes you know what you have to do? You have to sandblast a precious metal. It sounds counterintuitive, right? Like why would I take high pressured sand to gold or to silver? It strips it so that you can get back to polishing it. What was that scorching east wind on Jonah's soul? What was that sun beating down, blistering Jonah's forehead? It was God sandblasting the oxidation, the rust off of Jonah's soul. Our God polishes, he sandblasts. You polish, you sandblast, things of value, right? Mom's old silver platter, right? Mom, mom's jewelry, grandma's jewelry, that ring, that pendant, that was great grandma's that you're gonna pass to your grandkid and keep it in the family, right? Most of, us, most of us have a grandfather or a great-grandfather that had a gold pocket watch that gets passed down. We don't use those anymore. Like, open it up, boom, Charles Dickens, right? Christmas tale, or what, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Like, we don't use those anymore, but we keep them. Why? Because they're symbolic of the worth of our family. Do you see this is what God is saying about you, only better? You are worth more to me than a family heirloom. You are family. I love you. I value you. Therefore, I will work on you. He will not let us go. He redeems us, even if it means a little bit of discomfort, because he loves us that much. 
As you sit here today, what is the question that God is asking you? What is he appointing around you and to what end, to what purpose? Where is he polishing you? It could be any of these following questions. Are you right to be discontent with me? Are you right to be angry with me? Are you right to doubt me? Are you right to be more concerned with your word than with my word? Are you right to defend your sin? Are you right to play the hypocrite? Are you right to refuse to extend my grace to other people? What's the question? Make no mistake, he is here today asking you a question. He's polishing, he's sandblasting. And how? How do you know what he's asking you? How do you know what the question is, right? We gotta get the question right if we're gonna know what to work on, right? How do I know where he's appointing? How do I know where he's asking? Look to where your life is off. Look to where your life is off. Where are you pouting? Right, like where are you sitting in the dirt back towards God, back towards others, back towards this amazing work that he's doing in 120,000 people's lives? Where is there unresolved conflict? Where is there unresolved anger? Where is there jealousy? Where is there interpersonal conflict? That's where he is at work, using questions as a gentle drill to get down into the hard places in your soul. That's where he's asking. That's where he's appointing. He's guiding things in your life to get you thinking. If you do nothing else this week, Please do this. Here's your application point. Sit with the Lord with an open Bible in silence. I understand for some of you it's in the car. I understand that some of you husbands are going to need to say, I got the three kids, you go to Starbucks. Create that space out of love for your wife. Both of you get some silence. Do some self-examination, just you, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Take a sabbatical, please, from sermon podcasts. Get in the word. Get in the word. Embrace silence with the Lord in his word. Let his asking, let his appointing become scalpels that do surgery on your heart. Embrace his methods of redemption. As you do, he will keep your heart soft. We're left just to ask one question. Why? Why does he do this? Like, we should be amazed, right? Like, we should be amazed. Our God will redeem us from deep layers of sin and rebellion. He loves us that much. He does not cast us out. He does not throw us away. He does not put us on full blast. And as he redeems us from those depths, look at the tools of grace. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's gentle, but he really is a master teacher. He really is a master surgeon. Oh, Grace, he really is a good, kind, firm, loving, wise, instructive father to you. He really is. Why? Why does he treat us this way? Why didn't Jonah get what he deserved? Why do you and I not get what we deserve Go back to that shade plant in verse 6. Let's go back to verse 6. We said that God gave the shade. There's that double meaning, that double entendre, to save him from his evil. 
God created a plant to cover Jonah from withering, burning, scorching heat. This is a picture of your salvation, only you get something much better. You see, you get more than temporary relief from the hot sun and the scorching wind. What did God give to you? What is this better? You already know the answer. It's his son, Jesus Christ. He gave you his perfect life in which he did not pout at doing God's will. That perfect life now covers you with his righteousness so that you can stand before the throne of God. But he also gave you his life at the cross, which absorbed the scorching heat that was aimed at your hard heart. And now, by faith in Jesus Christ, and because of all that he's done for you, you have an eternal shade which no worm can destroy, and you will never again feel the hot winds blowing against you or the sun of God's wrath beating down on you ever again. If he will show you this kind of love and redemption, then how could he not keep working that redeeming love deeper and deeper and deeper, one centimeter or millimeter at a time, but it's still happening? How can he not drive that redeeming love deeper into your heart if he will give up his son to shade you and to cover you? Oh, grace, see the depth of his redeeming love. Embrace the methods, the asking, and the appointing that he has for you on your journey. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you are a good giver. You give us that which we do not deserve, Father. Oh, Father, how we praise you. Father, how we love you. Father, be with us. Help us to not be scared of going into the deep depths of our own hearts. No, Father, reach down into the waters and draw the dross out. Oh, Father, help us to have the confidence that you love us and that you at work, Father, changing us, growing us as you ask and as you appoint. Oh, Father, help us to embrace this and to live this out. We love you. We praise you. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.